If I haven't had a chance to meet you, um, my name's Joe, I'm a pastor at Central City Church, and it's good to be with uh, Central City and St. Luke's uh, this evening and uh, uh, sing some carols and uh, hear the story uh, told and um, to reflect on the, on the meaning of, of Christmas. Um, I want to take a second and just invite us into a couple moments to uh, prepare ourselves to hear what God might have to say to us today. Um, so I'm going to invite you, uh, you know, it, we might have some, uh, some uh, individuals in the pews that like to, you know, get a little antsy, and that's, I want you to know that's okay. We welcome it. And, uh, but so we're going to take some silence. That's in quotation marks. Uh, and uh, just to breathe, to reflect, to pause. I'm sure there's lots of things that's in your mind. God, we give you thanks that in uh, our silence uh, you meet us and that you're able to speak to us. We trust that your presence was here before we showed up and that you were inviting us into this space. You promised where two or more are gathered, you were there. We trust in that. We trust that even more so at Christmas time when we are reminded that you are with us. We give thanks for that. In your name, amen. In the midst of the Christmas season, uh, you know, with cookies and, uh, you know, candles and hot cocoa and carols and all of the endless Christmas songs, uh, I think sometimes we kind of lose the point of the whole Christmas story. I mean, at the most basic form, do you know what we're talking about when we talk about the Christmas story? It's what we call a birth narrative. In other words, it is a story of someone being born. Which, by the way, if you think about it, we all have a story, because if you're here, you were born at some point. That's how that, that's, that's, that's how that works. And, uh, but I was, I was thinking about birth narratives. This is a tradition that happens throughout um, uh, the Old Testament. They, the, the, the Jewish people were specifically interested in how you came into the world, uh, fascinated with the stories of how you were born and the circumstances around those. So, uh, but I found um, birth narratives change a little bit based on who's telling them. That, this is my experience. I think of Finn's birth. Sorry, Finn. Um, uh, uh, but uh, I think of Finn's birth. And the way I would tell the story is different than Alyssa. In fact, the way the dad tells the story is usually different than the mother. I know we just have a, a new baby here, so I, I imagine Chris and Charlie, you guys might tell the story a little bit. I'll tell you, how, this is how I tell the story. This is what I remember from Finn getting born. In the hospital room, there's this chair, and it's just a small old chair, and it, 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 and it folds out into a bed, but it's not really a bed. It's like a cot, uh, but it's, it's not even that comfortable. Worst night of sleep in my life. All right. That's my story of Finn being born. <laughs> now, you guys might think you missed a few details. And I'm like, no, nah, it's what I remember. <laughs> Very uncomfortable sleep. Now, how, how many of you just think, like, okay, that's not the best version of the story, right? And all of the moms in the room raise their hands. Right? All right, so, so we've been reading the Gospel of Luke, and if there's two, you know, there's two Gospels that tell the Christmas story, Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Matthew. If, if, if Luke is kind of in some ways telling us the bigger story, oh, it's a beautiful narrative. It talks about Mary and all these things going on with Mary, and Mary's, you know, uh, cousin Elizabeth and all the conversations they have, and they share these pregnancy moments, and I mean, it's, it's, it's a great story. Matthew on the other hand, whew, Matthew's like, if I was telling the story, here's how Matthew tells the story. Matthew chapter one. You don't believe me? Look it up. 
read it for yourself. Not right now, but like later. Matthew chapter 1, here's how it goes. Here's my paraphrase. Um, He says, uh, an angel shows up to Joseph. Mary's like a, a side note. Angel shows up to Joseph. Angel says, hey, Joseph, you're gonna, uh, you're gonna, Mary's going to have a child. And Joseph's like, angel, we haven't consummated our marriage yet. And the angel says, yeah, you're not the father, but I need you to be the dad. And he's like, okay, stepdad situation. And he's like, yep, can you do it? He says, I'm on board, whatever you say, God. And then Mary gave birth. That's the story of the nativity according to Matthew. Do you believe me? Read it for yourself, Matthew chapter 1. Now, you might be thinking, I'm joking, but it's not. And you almost have to wonder, Matthew's like, hey, Matthew, did anything else happen? I mean, are there any other details that we could, you know, work off of? And Matthew's like, no, I think that pretty much covers the, you know, that's like, that's it. Nothing else, you know. And then, but Matthew, like, what was Mary thinking how was she feeling? What were her friends and her family doing? Where was her cousin in all of this? Where did it take place? Was it in a hospital? Was it, was it, in, a, was it in some kind of unique setting? Matthew's like, no, nah, didn't, it didn't really seem worth mentioning. Not, nothing I can think of. Like, nothing. You can't think of anything else worth sharing, Matthew. And this is the best part. Matthew says, oh, yeah. So a couple years after the baby was born... Jesus was, uh, a group of foreigners came and looked for Jesus and accidentally told a king of his significance, and there was this whole genocide and violence and immigration issues and all of these variety of things. That's, that's Matthew's version of the story. Now, and, and which, honestly, I'm kind of glad, because Matthew is trying to tell us something different, and, and, and we'll have to forgive him for not really adequately capturing the perspective of Mary um, he does give us a different perspective and something that I want to reflect on. So we're not going to look at Matthew chapter 1. You can read that on your own. We are going to pick up where Matthew goes in, uh, most likely a couple years later or sometime later in Matthew chapter 2. It's a story that we just sang in the last carol. The words will be on the screen, but you can follow along with the Bibles in the pew if you want. Matthew chapter 2, here is what Matthew says. Oh yeah, here's an additional part of Jesus' story of being born that we should know about. Here's what he says. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Have you ever asked somebody a question only to realize that it was gonna get someone else in trouble? Like if very innocently you're just asking them a question and then because you asked this authority figure this question, all of a sudden someone, maybe a coworker, gets in trouble because you're like, hey, what, what, was, uh, what was Stephen doing on uh, Saturday uh, when, he, when he was supposed to be working? And, and you're just honestly curious and he's like, well, I thought he was, you know, like you, you ask some innocent question, but it gets them in trouble. This is how the story begins. They're like, hey, we came to worship this new king. We assume it's in the palace. And uh, it's going to get him in a lot of trouble. But, but this ultimately becomes a story, and we've we got to pay attention to this very carefully. It's very clear, this is about a king. There can only be one king. And we've got King Herod, and then you've got this other king that the Magi don't really know anything about. But they've come to worship him anyways. Now here's the interesting thing about this. The Magi is a Greek word 
This is one of those times in Scripture where we try to sanitize the story um, because Magi sounds kind of cool, right? We translate it to we three kings or uh, wise men. All of these things are like, oh, I like those guys. Magi, they're like magicians. <laughs> like, we'd be friends. What's interesting is magi is a transliteration. So a transliteration means it's, in the Greek, it's magi. And so then we're like, well, we'll just say that in the English, magi, because that sounds cool. What's interesting is that word does show up in other places in the Bible. It shows up specifically in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, this guy who's a magi is a sorcerer, a sorcerer and he's referred to as, guess what? Yeah, he's, he's referred to as a sorcerer. And he ends up not, he's not a very good guy. This whole story in Acts, we're not going to get into. But there, we choose the word sorcerer. If I can say the word, it's like Worshipsire sauce. Um, uh, a worship sorcerer. That would be even worse. And uh, uh, that's how we refer to it in Acts. But here, we're like, well, we're, you know, like we'd be a little uncomfortable with the idea that the first people to worship Jesus... Were sorcerers? They were from the East. They were foreigners. They weren't Jewish. They weren't followers of Jesus. They weren't Christians because that didn't exist yet. They were foreigners from the East who engaged in reading the stars and divination and apocryphy, you know, like they were. And these are the people who are first to recognize, in the Gospel of Matthew anyways, who Jesus is. Outsiders. You know, there's this deep lesson. And it's an extremely important lesson to the entire Gospel, especially the Gospel of Matthew. But all of the Gospels, I would say, have this important lesson. It's, it's central to Jesus. And you, you've got to wrap, if you want to understand who Jesus is, you've got to understand this lesson. The people who are supposed to know don't. And the people who you wouldn't think know do. That's just, that's how Jesus operates. He says, ah, oh, you, you see, but you, you're, 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 but you can't see. You hear, but you don't hear. This, is, this kind of thing. And the people we assume, the good religious people who are going to understand, oh, this, we know who, what Jesus is about. No, they don't get it. These people who don't know anything about Judaism from you know, immigrants, foreigners, are the ones. And here's, what, here's why they're perfect candidates to be the first to worship Jesus, one of the, one of the first to worship Jesus. Here's why the, the magi, I'll keep using that word. I like the word. Here's why they're perfect candidates to keep worship, to be the first to, to encounter Jesus. They'd already left everything and searched for the one. Think about this. That's one of the things that, you know, as immigrants, they were, they were immigrants, they were foreigners traveling from one land to another in search of something, in search of something that they valued, they thought was important. And the reason why they're such great candidates to become followers of Jesus is because in order to leave one land and go to another, guess what you have to do? You have to leave something. And that, you know, how do you become a follower of Jesus if you're unwilling to leave something? If you're unwilling to leave something behind, they become great candidates. So it's possible that the people outside of the faith might just understand Jesus better than those who are inside the faith. And you can't see the forest for the trees situation. In fact, uh, many people have often talked about How people who are far from the faith love Jesus. They just don't like what his followers do. Maybe that's another way of saying it. I actually think I actually like what Jesus is about. I was just talking to somebody today. I don't know if she's a person of faith or not. Um, but I was giving her a ride because uh, we have four-wheel drive and I can do that. 
And thank you. I'm so glad you all made it here safely. Um, it's, it's, it's nasty out there. But I was talking with someone today, and I was talking about some things going on in my life and some trouble I've had and, and uh, some people in my life that are close. And, and I, was talking about, I was talking about Christians, you know, but she didn't know that. And she, all she said was, uh, I don't know this person very well, but she said, oh, boy, they need Jesus. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I guess, don't we all? So a king is born, but there's already a king in place, and there's no room for more than one king. So let's skip to verse 9. We're going to cut out some of the story. We don't have time for it. Next, uh, verse 9 goes, after they heard the king, uh, so they go and they meet with this king, and the king tells them to do this and that. They went on their way, and the star they had seen, it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They give him these three gifts. This is where we get the idea that there's three wise men. We're not actually told that. We're told there's three gifts and that there's multiple magi or sorcerers or um, people who read the stars. And they give these three gifts, and these gifts are significant. They represent gifts that you would give a king, right? I mean, they already, this is no surprise. They came to that area planning to worship a king. They were probably surprised to find the king in a humble home as opposed to the palace where Herod was, but they came to worship a king. And so they give uh, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These, the frankincense and myrrh were both expensive, uh, aromic, uh, aromatic uh, gum resins uh, that weren't native to Palestine. So they were even, you know, because of supply and demand, they're worth even more there. Um, and they had a variety of religious and, you know, medicinal connotations. But these were gifts fit for king. Here's what Matthew wants us to realize. That when Jesus was born, a king was born. But as we already know, this king is not what we should expect. He's a humble king, and his experience as a king is going to be very different than what you would expect in our world. In fact, when you go to the end of Matthew, you see what kind of king Jesus is. And you know how the story ends. Jesus is born, but, but before the end of his story, he dies and rises again. And when he goes on trial where they're going to literally crucify him, where they're going to uh, capital punishment, he's going to have to die. One of the questions he's asked by the governor is what? Are you king of the Jews? See, Matthew's already setting up the story. Matthew's saying this is where the story's headed. This king has been born, but there can only be one king. And so the governor says, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you, are, you have said so. And then what they do, a couple of verses later, in Matthew 27, 29, they twist a bunch of thorns together. And this is going to be the crown for this king. They're going to put a crown of thorns on his head. And then they knelt down in front of him, mocked him, and said, hail, king of the Jews, they said. And then above his head, as he's hanging on the cross, they placed uh, this written charge against him, that this is Jesus, king of the Jews, Matthew 27, 37. And then they mocked him again. They said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. This is a story, and Matthew wants us to understand, that this is a story about a king being born, a king that people wouldn't get, that people wouldn't 
understand. And that is ultimately what this is all about. This, this king has arrived. Well, the story goes on. Uh, the wise men were warned in a dream. Joseph's already had one dream. He's going to have another one. And uh, verse 13, it says this. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Uh, Alyssa, uh, my wife's here, and uh, she, she's at Circle of Hope Church. I'll give you credit for this. This is great. She, she said, uh, you know, in, in Matthew 1 and 2, um, all of these men are viewed in dreams, but in Luke, the women receive visions. And uh, I, she made the joke that it's because the women weren't sleeping, they just had a child, you know. But Joseph was visited with a dream because he was sleeping. Um, not a comfortable bed, of course, like an uncomfortable, but, you know, he was sleeping, so he receives a dream, which is an interesting, interesting uh, observation. But he's appeared to Joseph in a dream. He says, get up. He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So here's this king who's arrived, and that is a, a direct threat to the authorities of his time. I want to focus on something else for a second, though. The first, one of the first to worship Jesus are immigrants, foreigners. And because of Herod, because Herod was threatened by Jesus, he and his family, Joseph, Mary, and little baby Jesus, have to flee. They have to, they have to leave their country. So immigrants travel, you know, very basic definition. Immigrants travel because they want to. They, they travel willingly. Refugees are forced out of their homes. So immigrants visit Jesus, and then Jesus becomes a refugee. I, um, I can't imagine having a newborn and having to leave. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, you know, like, but having to leave your home, having to travel across country. This is how God is introduced in the world. You know, and this is where I want to end. With all of this talk of foreigners and immigrants and refugees and the Christmas story, it made me realize something, and this is what I hope you'll take away, that that what the Christmas story is actually about, it, 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 it's not just a nativity. It's not just a story about uh, somebody who's, uh, somebody's born. You know, we've all, we've all been, we were all born at one point. And, and it is a birth narrative. I don't want to undermine that. And, it, and it's certainly about the birth of a king. Um, and I don't want to undermine that either. But it's, it's, oh, it's so much more. It is about a God who was distant and foreign and mysterious and magical and unreachable. And this God decided to move into our little neighborhood called Earth. God, the original foreigner leaving his home to arrive on our shores. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what the Christmas story is about. God, the holy immigrant. <laughs> and in other words, the gospel tells us that he'll be named Emmanuel, God with us. God traveled a great distance to be with us. And I don't know what you're experiencing or how alone you might feel. Because spoiler alert, Christmas isn't great for everybody. It's just not. And it's sometimes good to remember that Christmas wasn't great for Jesus either. 
born in a stable, hunted, forced to leave his home, flee the country. But God did that, if, if only for, well, for lots of reasons, but one of them to know exactly what it feels like to be human, to be like us. Because once you've experienced suffering, once you've experienced life, once you've experienced the complexities of this world and what it means to be born and raised and learn and struggle and question and, and all of those things, it's only then that you could really love somebody who's going through that same thing. And God loved us so much that God was willing to come and experience that as well. So I don't know where you're at. Maybe this, is the, maybe this is the best time of the year, and I'm here to tell you God wants to enjoy it with you, and maybe it's the worst time of the year. But God has traveled a great distance to be with you, to be with us. And you think about it. Right now, in this space, God, with us, you almost feel it. Reach out and touch it. In the honor of God, the great immigrant, this Christmas, um, we have a tradition at Central City Church where uh, uh, we give our Christmas Eve offering away. And uh, um, now that we've started doing some Christmas Eve services with St. Luke's, it makes sense to give our, you know, offering away. Um, it just it works well when you do a, a joint service. And so uh, this Christmas, um, one of the reasons why we're talking about this is because the offering is going to go to Chris, which is uh, a premier organization that serves immigrants and refugees in the Columbus area and Central Ohio area. And uh, I want to let you know how you can give. You, you might have received a piece of paper on your way in where you could take some notes, and you're welcome to use that on the bottom. There's a QR code you can give online. If you go to centralcity.co slash give, you can select out of our giving funds the Christmas Eve offering. All of it's going to go to Chris. Um, if you uh, write a check, uh, you can either drop it in the Dropbox or you can put it up in the uh, St. Luke's offering plate here. But uh, if, if you want to give, uh, I will say, if you want to give to Central City Church or St. Luke's separate from the Christmas Eve offering tonight, for whatever reason, you can do that. Just make sure it's noted on your check. Otherwise, it's all going to the Community Refugee and Immigration Services uh, to support families who are uh, moving into the Columbus area. I'm going to add one more thing. You should have received a connect card. There's a place where you can fill out some basic information about you and check whether you're here because of St. Luke's or Central City if you want to. Um, and then we'll give those cards accordingly. Um, one thing I want to let you know is that if you fill that out and turn it in in the Dropbox or you can put it up here, um, we'll, uh, we have a donor who's going to give a dollar for every card that's turned in. So if you're like, hey, I want to help Chris, just fill out as many cards, preferably with real information. Um, I mean, we're not going to check it, but I mean, we are, but you know, um, preferably with real information. You could take a second and fill it out. It's a really easy way just to make a, make a gift. It's also a great way for our, both of our churches to make sure we have updated information on you. So it's a win-win for everybody. Um, so you can do that. And uh, we're going to actually take some time for you to do that. We have a, a special music um, that you'll be able to listen to. If you want to go on and make a donation or if you want to fill out your Connect card, you'll be able to do that during this song. So let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you are so very close, that you have traveled a great distance to be with us, to know us, to love us. 
God, we know that there is often competing authorities in our lives, and that ultimately there can only be one king. This Christmas, help us to be as, a, as those first foreigners, immigrants who worshiped at your feet. Help us to leave behind all and worship you. In your name, amen.